0: Into our hearts, into our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. That's my prayer every time we start our services together. I'm always hoping that Jesus' presence will be real and significant to each and every one of us. And as always, my prayer is that you will be blessed by this word and the music. Thank you for joining me, Al Brady, in this hour. Our scripture lesson comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 36. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those dairies... And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the loveliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me for prayer. O God, your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all things. It's in your name. Amen. What does Christmas mean to you? What does Christmas mean to me? According to a Gallup poll, it indicates that 35% of those interviewed said that they considered Christmas a religious festival. 26% thought of it as a holiday. 23% considered it an opportunity to meet family and friends. 5% thought of it as a time of eating and drinking. And 11% had no opinion whatsoever. In other words, 65% of the people do not understand the true meaning of Christmas. Rick Warren conducted a survey of Christmas shoppers. And he asked this question, what are you celebrating this Christmas? He said, most of the answers had nothing to do with Jesus. I'm celebrating I made it through another year. I'm celebrating being home with my family. I'm celebrating that I finished my Christmas shopping. I'm not celebrating, I'm just surviving. A parishioner called a minister. She was in charge of the community lighting of the Christmas tree, and she wanted some help in selecting hymns. She said to the pastor, the Christmas carols are just too distressingly theological. The minister responded, well, after all, Christmas was a theological affair, wasn't it? I repeat, 65% of the people do not understand the true meaning of Christmas. Just so we can keep Christmas from being another social spree, or it can be a narrow celebration for me and mine, I want to speak today on the large subject, Christmas, and the larger perspective. And I want to use Mary as my ideal believer and noble example Of what I'm going to say. First of all in this particular scripture lesson we find it's a transition between the annunciations of John and Jesus and their births and lives. Basically it consists of two hymns. In the first hymn Elizabeth is eulogizing Mary. She is the ideal believer for Elizabeth. And then secondly it's Mary's praise, the Magnificat, Mary's praise of God. Here, Mary makes clear the connection between what God has done for her in her personal life and what God is going to do for the structures of this society. The structures of this society. This is Christmas, the larger perspective. First of all, the larger perspective includes God's initiative. God's initiative. Towards the night before Christmas went all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Once upon a time there were three pigs. These pigs were setting out to make their mark in the world. They were going to build houses, and they were going to do well. The first pig was lazy. He didn't like to work, so he quickly built his house of straw. There were four rabbits once upon a time. Their names were Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter. And so the emperor decreed that all the world should go to be registered. Joseph went with his pregnant wife Mary to Bethlehem. But there was no room for them in the inn. And so the baby Jesus was born in a manger. Now these are children's stories, or are they? Isn't it strange that one of the most precious stories of all the world is considered a children's story? When it's not really a children's story, it is an adult story. It's the story of God's terrible despair over humankind's sin and unconcern it's also the story of God's great love and in initiating his love for this world for letting us know how much he cares about us the most amazing part of the Christmas story to me is how God selected Mary Mary was a little 15 year old girl a 14 year old girl who lived in a backward part of the world and a little town known for its turmoil and she was not remarkable she was very unlikely and yet She was promised that she would be the favored one. Why Mary? What is this about Mary being so full of grace? Hear me now. God chose to bless Mary in this way. God filled Mary with his initiative. He filled Mary with his initiative. Mary must have wondered about this. She must have asked herself over and over again, Why me? Why did God choose me? She must have asked that question all the rest of her life. But remember, God chose to bless Mary in this way. She was a part of God's initiative. The minister shared that he had dropped a a jar of salsa in his pantry. He said there were tomatoes and there were peppers, and this jar broke and glass went everywhere. It was all over the pantry, the shelves all over him. It was all over everything in there, polka dots everywhere. And then he asked this question. He said, where do you start cleaning up in such a situation like this? He said, whenever there's a colossal mess, you just start where you can. You start where you can. Now, it's impossible for us to imagine how God must have felt when he looked at what sin had done to this marvelous creation of his. God had a choice, of course. He could have sent another flood and wiped it out. God could have just sat idly by and watched His self-destruct, but God chose to extend grace to a graceless world. God chose to extend this grace in His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The supreme tragedy of Christmas is that so many people do not understand it or completely ignore the meaning of Christmas. One of our bishops said he went into a nursery to get his wife a poinsettia for Christmas. He said, the nursery was just beautiful. They had bows and greenery and flowers. He said, there were cookies and punch. He said, the cash register lady was busy. He said, I went over to her and I said, well, how's it going? And she said, Christmas is horrible. She said, I'll be so glad when it's over. And I just don't like Christmas. As I said, the supreme tragedy of Christmas is that so many people do not understand the real meaning of Christmas or completely ignore Christmas the real meaning of Christmas. Towering above everything else, Christmas is the story of grace. It's the story of grace. Central of the meaning of Christmas is God's love for us in the birth of His Son. Speaking of grace, Mark Trotter, who was a former pastor of the First Methodist Church of San Diego, California, gave us an interesting story about the theology of baseball. He said, baseball is full of grace. Baseball is full of grace. That's It's genius. Not everybody does too well. He said, for instance, here's somebody who does a third of the time what they're being paid to do. Now, if we did a third of the time what we're being paid to do, we would be fired from our jobs. But a baseball player can do the third of what he's paid to do, and he'll go into the Hall of Fame or he'll make a billion bucks. Grace is always available in baseball. There's always another chance. A well-known English preacher said that when he was growing up he was unruly and he was considered a loser by his family. Full of resentment he decided he would just fulfill his family's thought about him. So he said he lived a terrible life. He said one night he was walking up the steps, shoes in the hand, he was slipping up the steps going back to his room when all of a sudden the door opened and light appeared and and it was his grandmother. She had a candle in her hand And then he said, she said five things that changed my life. She said, John, I believe in you. And he said, I went into my room and in the darkness, the miracle came to my life. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what God is saying at Advent and Christmas. He is saying, I believe in you. I believe in you. And then secondly, the larger perspective always includes God's will. There's an interesting story. It's a book called Jesus for Children. And in that book, there's a story called Mary's Surprise. I want to read you this little clip. Listen, this is Mary talking. Stay where you are, said the young girl, or I'll scream. My name is Gabriel, said the tall stranger. Are you an angel, asked Mary. I have a message for you. You shouldn't go about surprising people, said Mary, closing her book. Angels are for surprises, said Gabriel. I didn't know that said Mary you're one of God's favorites said Gabriel he wants you to know that thank you for telling me and he wants to ask you a favor he wants you to be the mother of his child the child the scriptures speak of the child that will save all people of the world will you do God this favor does he have to ask God always ask he knows I read the scripture and will do what he asks. blessed are you among women said Gabriel and the angel was gone. Yes, God did have to ask, thought Mary, as as she returned to her book, and yes, she would never say no. Let's consider Mary for a minute, and her response. She must have felt some agony when all of this happened, but she said, I am the handmaid of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Remember, she had no guidance, she had no proof, she had no protection, she had none of these things. But she still said, yes, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Handmaid means woman slave. What this means is God's purposes were Mary's purposes. God's plans were Mary's plans. Whatever God wanted, that's what Mary planned to do. And this leads to the very first step in everything. It is surrender or yielding our life to God. In the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, Every Advent season, they put out a nativity scene from the 18th century. There's much about this particular nativity scene that's very familiar to us. Mary, Joseph, the angels, the shepherds, the babe, and that's familiar. But there's something about it that's not familiar. There's something that you have to be careful and you have to look at it very carefully to understand. The stable is not set against the background of Bethlehem. It's set against the background of decaying Roman ruins. In other words, the stable is set amidst the fallen Roman Empire, the ruins of the Roman Empire. That's the meaning of Christmas. Whenever Christmas comes, it means the old world ends. And if we're going to receive Christ into our lives, it means that the old world is going to end in us. He said, if anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation, the old is passed away. You remember the name Robert Young. Robert Young had a daughter in real life, He said he would kneel to pray with her, and he said she was just a child, and she would always pray, and her prayer was like a list of Santa Claus. She would just simply state what she wanted and be done with it. But then he said one night something was different. When she finished her prayer, she didn't say amen. Robert Young said, we just waited. And she finally said, and dear Lord, is there anything I can do for you? That's always the first step. The first step is we give our lives over to God. But there is a second step. That second step is always an outward step. It's an outward step. Do you remember what Mary did? Mary simply praised God for being selected. She blessed God in humility for God trusting her. But if you think this is just a little story about Mary, you're sadly mistaken. This is not about Mary, Those words she uttered in the Magnificat are the most revolutionary words ever in all the world's history. They're revolutionary to say the least. Listen to those words again. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has broken down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. God wants to start a revolution he wants to start that revolution with Mary and with all of us as well but this is a revolution different from Mayo or Marx or Bin Laden this is a revolution of love a revolution of tough love if you please if you please one of the great warriors in this revolution was Martin Luther King Jr. I remember reading something that Ashley Smith who was the President of the Theological Seminary in the West Indies wrote about Martin Luther King, Jr. She said these are the things he left us and when I thought of these things I thought about Jesus because they are very very similar. The first thing Dr. King left us was a clear vision of evil. A clear vision of evil and the fact that evil is not invisible. I like the story of the young man who went up to the bar and he was sitting at the counter and all of a sudden this big guy came over and simply pulled him off the stools threw him down to the ground and said that's karate and I got it in Korea the little fella dusted himself off he stopped his nose bleeding and he sat back up at the stool there at the bar and a few minutes the big man came over and yanked him off the bar and off the stool and threw him on the ground and he said that's judo and I got it in Japan well the little guy dusted himself off and like a coward he left the room he entirely left the room but in a minute he came back And he whopped the big guy over the head. He was sitting at the bar this time. He whopped him over the head, knocked him to the floor. And when he knocked him unconscious, and when the big man was coming back to conscious, the little guy was standing over and he said, that's a crowbar and I got it, sears. But you see, we're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about the kind of love that Dr. King left us when he, he pointed us out a clear view of evil and he said that evil is not invisible. And then secondly, Dr. King left us a passion for constructive change. Dr. King was interested in rearranging the structures of society, not destroying the evildoers. And then Dr. King finally left us a willingness to sacrifice, a willingness to hurt. There are some things in this, gr- this world that are worth hurting for. And whatever the price is, we have to pay. for these things to be done, it's worth it. There was a black historian that was asked this question, why did Martin Luther King, Jr. not become a Marxist? Or why did his people not become violent in their ways of changing society? Do you know what this fellow answered? He answered, because of the overpowering force of the figure of Jesus. Because of the overpowering force of the figure of Jesus. The figure of Jesus. So, the large perspective of Christmas always includes God's will. And then one last thing here, this, this larger perspective always includes God's church. It always includes God's church. I remember years ago when our little daughter Elizabeth was a little girl. She invited a lot of little girls over to spend the night. And I remember I overheard the conversation of one little Methodist girl. She said to another girl, are you Methodist or Baptist? This little girl replied, I go to the church of God. This first little girl was very indignant. She said, I go to the church of God too. Are you Methodist or Baptist? Whatever, it always includes the church. It always includes the church. As I tried to say earlier, Mary believed that God himself would overthrow the structures and values of this culture. That God would reverse human values himself. So what's to be done in the meantime? The writer of Luke's gospel says that Jesus and his church they don't have a social ethic for society rather they have a social ethic for the church itself they are to live to their own ethic and then consequently it influences the world to live at that same ethic. There was a man by the name of Mackey he was the president of Princeton Theological Seminary and a missionary to Africa he was a saint. Reverend Mackey also never entered a chapel address or any kind of speech that he didn't say let the church be the church His plea was, let the church be the church, and nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Always let the church be the church. I'm sure you've heard the name Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley said he was sitting on the first pew of his church service one morning, and somebody tapped him on the shoulder, handed him a program, and had this little note scribbled on the inside of it. It said, Andy, thank you for creating a church where we are comfortable bringing our unchurched friends. Thank you for creating a church where we are comfortable bringing our unchurched friends. That's the idea. The church is an agent of grace, or at least it ought to be. It ought to make that grace available and accessible to every person. As Andy Andy Stanley said, it's not our grace. It's not your grace. It's God's grace. And because it's God's grace, it ought to be available to every single person everywhere at all times. So when you start looking at the meaning of Advent, Advent is a lot bigger than we think. It has to do with God's initiative. It has to do with God's will. And it has to do with God's church. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you again for this day and the opportunity we have of worshiping you. We are grateful for the Advent season, a time when we are reminded of how much you love us, a time when we prepare for the coming of the King. So, O oh Lord, keep us mindful of all that's going on during this season. Bless all of these in the sound of my voice and in the way of this picture. Bless them and sustain them and use them. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining me tonight, and I trust this whole service has been a blessing to you. Good night.